Gareth is a talent acquisition lead at Checkout.com, but a better way of describing him is as a talent business partner. Gareth's key skills lie in truly partnering with hiring managers in order to understand their needs, strategizing with his team, and hiring the best people. What's Gareth's approach to engaging stakeholders? How did his transition go from agency to in-house? And what's it like being a team lead? Find out about this and more in this episode of Coffee with the Recruiter. Okay, and we're uh, good to go. Hello, Gareth. Hello, Jose. How are you doing? I'm very good, thanks. How are you? Very good, very good. Thank you for taking the time for the uh, podcast episode. I uh, was really looking forward to to getting you on the podcast since you know you've got tons of experience you're you're a uh, a lead recruiter at checkout and obviously you know big things coming up big growth for your company so the sky's the limit i just really wanted to get your story in terms of your skills your experience but also sort of what you're looking forward to right and and actually something very interesting which is basically sort of how you partner up with hiring managers because that's that's so key as a as an internal recruiter so just wanted to get, touch upon that a little bit more so thank you again for for coming up no no thanks so much for having me on the show excellent well uh i wanted to start just uh you know if you can give us a just for the people that might not be incredibly familiar with your profile can you give us maybe a uh, a broad overview of your experience how you got into recruitment your your trajectory and 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 what you currently do yeah yeah um so so yeah, for those of you who don't know, my name is Gareth Pratson and currently I'm a squad, a squad lead at um, Checkout.com. Um, so I've been in recruitment um, for be like four and a half years now. Um, so, not, so not that long in the grand scheme of things, but um, in terms of, you know, I've started out like most people working in agency recruitment. Um, when I, so I'm originally from South Africa and I moved over to London roughly four years ago. And um, yeah, like I said, I started mainly in agency recruitment. Um, but, you know, when I started in agency recruitment, I knew I kind of realized pretty, pretty early on that I wanted to end up in-house and working for, mm. uh, working for a technology company. Um, and so, you know, working for an agency, you know, I started my career in LaFosse Associates and it was honestly, it was a fantastic experience working there. Um, they have a, they had probably an amazing, in my opinion, it was an amazing learning and development program. Um, so I was at LaFosse Associates and I was focusing mainly on, um, the .NET core, um, contract market, working within the software development recruitment team. Yeah. Um, and after, after being there for a year, I decided to, well, I basically moved to another uh, agency recruitment company called Major Players. Again, really fantastic experience there. This time I was focusing more on the permanent market and focusing on digital designers, product designers, UX and UI. So still, still keeping very much within that mold of working with technology companies. This time it was the permanent market. So kind of just building on my skill sets and, understand, and understanding you know, recruitment from both contract and permanent side of things. Um, and then, uh, yeah, then I was, I was, uh, it was very interesting or fantastic opportunity came my way where I was uh, given the opportunity to work for, um, a company called touch surgery and it was my first in-house position. 
I joined them as the only technical recruiter at the time. And basically when I joined them, we, the company was roughly, a, roughly a hundred people. And, um, you know, we scaled the company up to somewhere, I think it was around 160, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, wow. and it was focusing on, on everything from, you know, backend engineers, Python and Django to front end engineers with React and Redux, QA, mobile engineers, computer vision, machine learning engineers, basically everything. Um, cause I was the only recruiter there. Um, and after being at uh, touch surgery for again, just over, just over a year, um, I was uh, given the opportunity to join checkout. Um, and basically joined checkout when we were 250 people, um, with the goal of essentially doubling the size of the company you know, every year. Um, yeah. it was a fantastic challenge, a fantastic opportunity. And, uh, yeah, that's where, that's where I am, I am today. Yeah. Now how was the, um, I think just a quick question before that one, but, um, on a side note, so my brother mm -hmm. actually, he did a, uh, an internship in South Africa and I'm not sure if this, this, this neighborhood rings a bell, but it it's called Hanadendal and it's oh, wow. like, cool. yeah, it's, it's like this, it's a small neighborhood, a small town and he's an English teacher. So he went to do like an internship over there. And he mm. said he, he quite enjoyed it there in, in South Africa in terms of the people, the nature, um, but also a lot of, I think, surfing or like, uh, not surfing, but I think bodyboarding more more like it. So a lot of sort of beach activities also. So he, he quite enjoyed his time there. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I, um, I, still get the I still get the chance to go back to South Africa. I try and go back once a year to visit family and um, all my family's still out there. But, uh, but no, I absolutely, I absolutely love London. I absolutely love, you know, working in London, the city, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. And what was the, so this is one, it's a funny one because a lot of people that ask, Hey, so why, what should I ask during the podcast? And they tell me to, to ask people what the switch from agency to in-house was, was like, and what the differences yeah. were and the biggest I, sort of maybe eye opening moments. So, yeah. so I suppose moving from, from agency to internal, what was that like? And were there any sort of unusual moments or experiences? So it, yeah, I mean it's a it's a very popular it's a very popular question. I, I quite <laughs> yeah. yeah, I quite often because uh, obviously we we you know I've got someone in working in my team now who who joined us directly out of agency. So we were interviewing quite a few um, recruiters coming from agency into in house for the first time. And even during the interviews, they would ask you know um, they would ask you know what is it that can that I can expect you know coming into this environment. So it is a a very popular question. Um, I actually, I actually wrote, wrote an article about this not so long ago, um, where it was very personal about, you know, what I noticed and I really kind of boiled it, I, I kind of boiled it down to three different things. And these are the three things that I noticed, um, quite clearly when I joined in-house was compared to agency. Firstly, it was, um, it was you know, the, a change in mindset. And I think this is the big, I think this is one of the big, big things that I've noticed is that when you're working in an agency, it's very, the, the, the focus is very much like on yourself. You know, it's very much, you know, how, how's my desk developing? Yeah. Um, how many clients am I bringing on? How many candidates am I calling? How many placements am I making? How much money am I making? It's very much, you know, individual, individualistic kind of focusing on yourself. Um, 
And um, when I moved in house for the first time, I realized that that mind it's it, that mindset changes, and it's all about the collective. It's all about you know working together and making decisions that are going to be beneficial to the company um, and trying to grow the team or grow the company um, all together. You know, you've got to your mindset has to be more around the collective and more about the company, yeah, rather than yourself. Um, that's one of the things that I noticed. The other, the other two things that I noticed was um, the the second one was about um, depth of knowledge. So when I was working in agency, and again, this is you know this is just me. When I was working in agency, I, I obviously had a working for a couple of clients, and I I had like a general overview of what these co- different companies or different clients did, um, but there was no like in depth knowledge. It was kind of just very shallow. Yeah, and. I noticed when I joined, when I joined, obviously when I was at Touch Surgery and then now at Checkout, that having that deeper knowledge of the company, and not just the company that you're working in, but the the, the sector that that company is working in, it's you know it's it's far greater. And I you know I encourage everyone in my team to to actually go that extra mile to understand what does the company do inside and out, how does it fit into the industry and the sector. Because then you're able to actually understand, you know, what the company is trying to do, and you're actually able to understand the mission a lot better, and the goals of the company, and and why the company is so revolutionary um, and game changing. Um, and then the the third the third thing um, the third thing that I mentioned, I'm just trying to trying to rem- trying to remember now because um, this article was a while ago. Was it the one on? Uh, I think it's called Rogerio Ceni. Um, I think no, I might- no. that, that that was a different article. I wrote the the name of the article was an article called uh, "Crossing the Rubicon," um, and I actually called. I actually meant used that on purpose because I, I, for me, for me, actually moving in house from agency for me was you know it was a point where you know i i didn't want to go back to working for an agency i wanted to stay in house and work in house yeah. so very much that's why i thought that title was quite um was quite fitting for um for me basically um yeah i w- i wanted to ask you about about that one in a bit but i think i just wanted to to comment i mean you you're i think it's it's definitely the case that as recruiters, as you switch from agency, I mean, the best thing you can get is like all of these, you know, you'll only at, at, at most, sometimes you only get the job description for all of these different roles in different companies. And yeah. unfortunately you don't get to talk even to the hiring manager sometimes or get any sort of that. It's like, here's the JD and off you go. Um, whereas once you're there, once you're internal, you talk to everyone and uh you learn so much more but even then i've always felt not even when you're only working let's say you're only working tech in mm. a company internally but it really helps knowing in let's say what the business side of the company is doing what yeah. even the operations side is doing what finance is doing because in so many discussions with candidates they'll ask you, okay, so I understand the tech and I understand the, um, 
the how how the team is is organized in terms of the squads or agile methodologies but uh how's how's the company performing from a business perspective how's the how's the product mm-hmm. doing and then you talk about oh well the sales guys they're doing quite well they're hitting their targets or generally you'd be expecting long sales cycles so but they're very big also at the same time and oh we got this funding and everything and we're going to be investing it in learning and development and this and that so it really helps knowing what the broader company does because then you can pr- provide a, a better story to your candidate but also uh, something a bit more complete right and more compelling yeah absolutely and and, and i couldn't agree more and you actually when you mentioned um you you actually i actually remembered now when you said uh, that sometimes you get given a job description and then you kind of off you go and you don't really speak to hiring managers when you said that, it, it reminded me of the third point. And the <laughs> third point, yeah, um, it actually, yeah. Um, so the third point was was exactly that, where I learned um, when going in house that in order to build high performing teams, um, culture is king, um, and it's so it's so important that you're hiring for for people that are in line with the values of the business they're on board with the mission they understand the mission they're passionate about it um and you know when you when i was working in an agency it was exactly what, what you mentioned that's what dropped my memory was you know when i was working in an agency you got given a job description and it was like you know you need to find this person and make sure that they have all the technical skills but unless you actually went into the client's offices did you get a feel for the culture? But even then, you don't really have that deep understanding of the culture. Um, and so when you're going in agency, when you're hiring, you tend to focus mostly on the technical skills and not a lot on the, the culture side. Yeah. Um, when, you, when I found that when I, was, when, I was, when I moved in-house, culture was just as important as the technical skills, if not more important. So that was also a huge, um, a huge thing that I noticed. Yeah, I think, and obviously it depends per person, but I think generally people, and I think hiring managers, but candidates also from a technical perspective, they'll sometimes realize, you know what, the technical skills, I mean, if you're doing, Mm -hmm. let's say if you need a Python developer, but this person specializes in Ruby, but they've done a bit of Python before, and so and they know some .NET. So most probably they might be able to transition e- mm. more easily into that new role. Whereas yeah. if there's a lack of culture fit, it's tougher to really transition, right? Because that way it's like you're trying to make someone. Let's say if someone prefers a company that's very stable, that changes only very slowly. And where let's say there's there's a lot of processes and guidelines. Then mm. if you throw them in a company that's very dynamic, a lot of upheaval, no management or or very little guidelines and a lot of urgency, then yeah. that's that's very different. That's 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 harder to get used to almost. Yeah, absolutely. And it actually goes back um, to the 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 this the comment that you that you put on linkedin the other day around uh, dennis rodman um yeah yeah it goes way it goes back to that and um you know how important it is that when you when you're hiring you know you want to be hiring for you know you want to you want to be hiring for people who are technically strong but you know that culture piece is so important and 
you know, hiring for people that are coming from different backgrounds, bringing different perspectives, you know, it adds a lot towards um, building a high performing team. Um, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I think that whole yeah. Dennis Rodman thing, I was like, yeah, that's absolutely, that's exactly, that's exactly right. Yeah, I guess my, my personal thought there, and I think that's one thing that I've been seeing also slowly. I mean, it hasn't really caught on yet, but companies asking themselves, okay, culture fit is good, but what can we add in terms of culture to a team, right? Because mm. let's say if a team, you know, they're they're doing well, but maybe they're lacking something like some creativity, a creative element, or mm. someone that can think outside the box, then only getting very similar people yeah. uh, doesn't doesn't quite 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 work right you need someone that also is is maybe mostly the same but then can bring that unusual perspective into your team yeah absolutely i couldn't i couldn't agree more have you seen the the series by any chance if you haven't you, you really oh, need to check it out no i i have seen the series i i'm not a i'm not a huge i'm I, i'm not a basketball fan i don't watch basketball but that was probably the best sports documentary I've I've ever seen. No, yeah, same here. I'm I'm not really into into basketball, but I mean it's a really good documentary. But also, I mean, who doesn't know Michael Jordan, the Chicago yeah. Bulls? Even if you're not a fan, you're like, yep, I know them. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just amazing how the the you know the guys passion drive his motivation and the the longevity of it, like how he was that motivated and that dedicated for not one or two years, like for, you know, since he was in high school, it's just, it's just phenomenal. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It takes a lot of dedication, but it's also so funny to realize what type of person he was behind the scenes Yeah, because he was a bit of a bully to his team and really yeah. harsh. But in the end, crazily enough, that's, Obviously, that got them to where they are, and they're like, "Well, he was a bully, but you know, he's Michael Jordan, so he got yeah. us here." You know, so they're like, "Yeah, he was a bully, but he got us here." Basically, yeah. um, I suppose. I suppose, and uh, maybe that's a good segue. But I, I suppose, are you more of a, a football fan, or I guess just to touch upon the Rogerio Seni, Cheni? I hope I'm pronouncing. Oh, uh, nice. I see what you've done there. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, uh, yes. Uh, I'm a I'm a big football fan. Um, so yeah, I grew up grew up playing a lot of football, um, and uh, so yeah, kind of that's that's basically how I came across Rogero Seni and who he, who he was as a player. I kind of knew about him. I kind of knew about him for years because you know my dad my dad always used to talk about talk about him as like a goalkeeper and being almost like a not the usual goalkeeper because of what he used to do um, on the on the field. So yeah, tell me a little bit about the the article and really what it is to be. I suppose not just a recruiter, a sourcer, but really a business mm -hmm. partner to to your company and to the business as a whole. Yeah, yeah. So um, so the article is called "I Want I Want to Be Like Rogero Seni," and essentially the whole so. The how how I kind of came across this was uh, I've been I watched this video with Jeff Weiner who was um, uh, he's the former CEO of LinkedIn now um, and uh, he basically spoke about how you know how you how businesses can try and maximize the value that their employees can bring and he uses an analogy where he says he says that 
he he actually asks the people in the room in the in the audience you know what is the role of the goalkeeper and everyone's kind of giving him answers like oh they defend the goal um they start the attack from 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 the back um they organize the defense and he was like that's great but no one's actually giving me the right answer and he says the right answer is the role of the goalkeeper is to win the game mm. just like every other player on the field every player on the field goal or role is to win the game and he he was saying that this mindset is about t- trying to take yourself outside of your immediate remit or your immediate scope in order to identify other areas in which you can add value to a business and this got me thinking you know and this is why because this is why I wrote it because it got me thinking you know how can a talent acquisition team do that how can a talent acquisition team bring more value to a business outside of just hiring just like how can a goalkeeper bring value to a football team outside of just pre- preventing another team from scoring yeah um and it brought me back to when i was at such surgery and when i was at such surgery i i had a i had a manager there um and he's a great friend great mentor of mine even today and um and he he actually introduced me to the idea that a talent acquisition function should not be a team of recruiters but they should be a team of business partners and on purpose on purpose when you say business partner it's vague on purpose and the reason and reason why that's good is because if you start identifying yourself as a business partner then it opens up many other areas in which you can actually add value if you start labeling yourself as a recruiter then by definition you know the company's only going to see you as someone who is there to recruit and yeah. those opportunities to add value outside of recruitment they tend to they they tend to be harder to harder to get so so that's what the whole article is about and Rogero Seni is a goalkeeper and for those of you for those who are listening and they don't know who he who he is he's you know he used to be he was a goalkeeper for Brazil he won uh, many, many trophies but he he's actually gone down as one of the greatest goalkeepers of all time not because of the amount of saves that he made but he actually scored 131 career goals i think mm. it was um in his career which is the most that any goalkeeper has scored um he used to take penalties for his team he used to take free kicks for his team and you just think like him as a player in that team that he played for the amount of value that he was bringing to that team he wasn't just score he wasn't just preventing other teams from scoring goals but he was scoring goals himself i mean it's it, it's just amazing to think about how much value he was bringing outside of what a normal goalkeeper is traditionally expected to do i think and definitely and it's slowly i think it's very slowly picking up in the i suppose in the recruitment space or in recruitment culture but the mm. idea that a recruiter is not just there to to bring CVs and phone screen candidates mm. and and send CVs to the hiring manager now those are the core activities uh and the most important ones and the ones that take most of the time of course but there's other elements that recruiters can do or let's say more business partners if we if we start calling them that a bit more that are yeah. super relevant to to solving business problems almost because yeah. anything from uh and and keen to know if you have any examples on this but things like okay we need um a salary benchmark exercise in order to really understand mm. what are we competitive in the market or are we paying too much or too little 
and yep. things like okay so our processes it's taking quite quite long why is that okay so we have a bottleneck in maybe the first or second stage interview why is that then how can mm. we shorten our processes in order to not get candidates dropping out or having to reject people or anything along those lines just all of these different activities mm. that um that help 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 not just the recruitment process but getting better hires and also the right people yeah yeah no there's there's those are those are really good examples you know another example would be you know if your hr if your hr department is thinking or relooking at their benefits for example you know that is something that you you as a talent acquisition function function can engage with because you've you've spoken to other candidates you know what other companies benefits packages look like you know what are going to attract people in terms of benefits so yeah. There's, there's value that you can bring to that to that discussion and you know also you know if you're you know from an expand expansion point of view you know if you if you're a company and you're looking to expand you know into other regions and so on you know you might be you might be thinking oh we want to expand into this region because you know we want to build a product a product team out in that region um you know it's it, it can be useful for um for a talent acquisition function to actually engage in those conversations too to say well Let's go into that region. Let's have a look and see, you know, what companies are we going to be competing with for that same talent? And is that talent readily available? You know, is it a contract market heavy or is it permanent market heavy? And then that can that adds a lot of value to that discussion as to whether or not we pick we go with region A instead of region B. You know, so that's that's a, that's that that's exactly it. You know, it's. You know, and the, the reason why, the reason why I, I was writing this article and it was weird because I was writing the article because of the video um, that I watched, but it was interesting because as I was writing it, I was watching what was happening on LinkedIn um, and, you know, with everything going on in the world today, you know, obviously I've got a lot of friends who, you know, have been furloughed and also have been let go from their businesses. And it's, it's heartbreaking because we're all in the same, we're, we're you know, we're all, we're working in the same industry, you know, talent acquisition. So it, it's, it's heartbreaking to see that. And when I was writing this, this article, it kind of dawned on me, you know, that it's almost like, cause I had a, there was a bit of doubt as to whether I wanted to, to, to actually, to actually publish it. But I realized that, you know, I wanted to publish the role. I wanted to publish it because I, I wanted to, I wanted, I, I was worried that, with everything going on in the world today, companies were not in a position to hire, which is totally understandable. But my worry was that because companies were in a position to hire, their automatic response was, okay, our talent acquisition function therefore has no more value to bring to us because they're, they're here just to hire. And the whole purpose of the article is to basically say, well, you know, there's more that your talent acquisition function can be doing outside of hiring. Um, and at the same time, it was, uh, you know, I felt it was also necessary to, to publish it because even for those talent acquisition functions, you know, working in companies that, you know, are not hiring, then there is things that there, there is things outside of hiring that you can do and you can engage in and you can bring value to the company. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to publish the, the article because I felt that, that actually became quite apparent to me. And that was kind of like a bit of a fear that this is what was happening in our, in our industry. I think it's also a case of, I think just changing 
I don't know if it's the image that recruiters have in the market or how hiring managers see recruiters. I mean, I think we've all been there where let's say you're you're in-house maybe internal Mm -hmm. and some hiring managers they see the value in listening to different insights but sometimes at least from my personal experience uh some hiring managers they really just see recruiters as the people that bring the cvs right so really changing that perspective and and showing well of course, I'm here to to bring that, but also to bring the CVs, but also, hey, there's questions around all of these points that we just mentioned, right? And there's a mm-hmm. lot more insights that I could support you with in order to make the right decisions. And I mean, I think it's, um, uh, and this is another thing, but, and closely related, but hiring managers, the uh, I think it's also maybe a UK thing, like a London thing, but they almost see recruitment as a necessary evil, right? It's like, oh, I uh, time to engage with the recruiter again or something along those lines. I think it's it's also coming back to probably sort of agency type 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 culture or uh, mm-hmm. the fact that um, in London, at the very least, agency has had a bit of a bad rap. So all recruiters have a bit of a bad rap, but I think, uh, you know, it really differs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I do think that I, I, I agree well, you know, I do think that as you know, ta- it, it's almost from, ta- I, I feel like talent acquisition is, is a, it's an evolution, you know, it's, um, it is, it is evolving. And I do believe that in the next, you know, uh, I, I said to someone the other day, 10 years, but then after I said 10 years, I was like, with everything that's going on, it's probably gonna be five years now with how things are yeah. advancing. But I do think that with the introduction of, you know, more machine learning and AI tools that are coming into the, into the the talent acquisition market, I think that a lot of those tools are going to help take the things that take the things that we do that are inefficient and make it efficient. And one of those things is, you know, finding people and finding candidates. And, you know, I do think that, um, that the amount of time that we spend trying to find people um, if you're able to optimize that through machine learning and, and, and AI, then as a talent acquisition professional, you basically you have a lot of time now that's freed up because of this new technology. And then it becomes yeah. a question of, okay, what's going to replace that time? And that's where I think being a business partner, engaging in these strategic talks, being embedded into these teams and trying to add value to these teams outside of just hiring of course you know i think hiring is always going to be our main our main responsibility but i think with as these new technologies come in and more time becomes available to us as talent acquisition professionals i think that that's where it's going to end up going i think there's going to be more room for this to become that business partner um so yeah yeah, it's going to demand from recruiters that they learn new new platforms, new technologies. I was in, in a previous episode, I was talking about, maybe you've seen this new, uh, I don't know if it's new, new, but Tempo UK. I've heard of it. Yes, I've heard of it. Yeah. So what they do is um, a lot of the, uh, they take over. So they're like a sort of an AI driven uh, video platform that mm-hmm. it's like a video interviewing platform they focus more on the sort of what's a good way of putting it sort of not commercial but more like pas um, assistants um, that sort of i suppose more what's a good way of putting it so roles where it's like you get tons of volume 
And yeah. on paper, they seem easy, like a PA role. You might think, okay, that's easy. But then once you put an advert, you'll get 200 applications. And then you're like, okay, so I'm swimming in CVs and I got to <laughs> call six people every day. So they take over that piece and then they make the transition a bit smoother, the process a bit smoother in order to get a, a faster higher out of that. So I think that's mm. that's one platform that I saw that I think, okay, that's going to make life a bit more easy for, for recruiters and, and hiring managers. Um, mm. So I think that's going to be a good development for recruiters to, to learn from. Um, now, I think you said something along the lines of, so, you know, it saves you a little bit of time. So I think there's definitely, I mean, if, if I look at the activities that cost so much time for recruiters, I think mm -hmm. definitely those those roles are the trickiest ones. Um, and it depends. I mean, a commercial role, it's all about uh, having a lot of calls. There's a big response rate, but then you get to the technical roles where it's, okay, no one's responding. But once you find a, once someone does respond, then it's like they get an interview, they, their CV looks good and they get into the process. Yeah. Yeah. I I wanted to 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 catch up on something because I I understand you're also a uh, a team lead, right? Yeah, yeah. So um yeah, so not sure if I mentioned that at the beginning, but yeah, I currently lead a team of 3. So it's three people that report into me at uh, checkout, yeah. I wanted to check what's your sort of approach to 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 leading a team or mm. philosophy, what's your what's your perspective on that? Yeah, well um I mean, obviously, I'm still relatively new to the uh, to leading a team, so I don't obviously profess to profess to be uh, to be an expert. But you know, I was very I was very lucky at um, at Touch Surgery that my man my well yeah one of one of the my managers at um, at Touch Surgery um, I learned a lot from him when it came to building a team and the team that I worked in at Touch Surgery you know, was, was just a team built on trust, um, trust, honesty, openness, transparency, you know, it was basically, that was, that was the, the foundation of what our team was built on. And I, I, I realized there at an early stage, how important it is to kind of build that trust and build that psychological safety within a, within a team. Um, so, so at, at checkout, you know, that's what I, that's what I, that's what I look to do. Um, you know, anyone that comes into anyone that, that comes into the team, um, that I, that I look after, you know, everyone knows, um, in the team that, you know, I, I'm very open, honest, and I'm, and I'm transparent with everybody in the team. And, um, I believe that that's really important, um, to establish that trust. But what I've also found is that, Historically, you know, when I'm talking to other other managers or other people who are new to leadership, they quite often, when I ask them, you know, what's the thing, what what's some of the things that you struggle with, um, a lot of it is about giving that constructive feedback. And and honestly, I think that one of the greatest things, and this is again why I I always say, you know, I try and build as much trust and openness within the team because if you have a team that's that that trusts each other and you know, there's openness and there's transparency. Then when it comes to giving feedback, it's, it's pretty easy because everyone's open yeah. and honest already. So, uh, yeah. so, you know, and, and it go, and what's important is like, I encourage it to go both ways. So, you know, I encourage my team to be open and honest with me and to give me feedback 
as much as as much as I'm giving feedback to them. Um, because you know, I, I remember when uh, when I first started growing the team, and I, I wish I wish some of them were on this call or, or on this call actually, because uh, <laughs> I'd be interested to hear what their what their thoughts would be. But um, but I think in every every single one of them when they joined my team, right from the beginning, I always kind of laid down, you know, kind of said to them, look, this is this is what you're going to get from me as a leader, um, and you know, um, there are going to be things that. You know there are going to be decisions. I'm not going to get every decision right. Um, I am going to I am going to make mistakes, and I rely on you and your expertise and your openness and your transparency to keep to keep me on my toes to make sure that I'm you know looking after your career development and, and so on. So you know I rely on them to to give me the feedback, and I uh, you know they rely on me to obviously set the strategy and the direction of the team and build an environment for them that they're going to be a success in. But it all comes down to that trust openness. And that is kind of set in from the first day. It's, it's good. You mentioned that feedback piece because naturally that's where the, the leadership aspect comes through, right? Generally it's, it's a leader or a manager. That's the one ideally also a colleague, but a lot of times a colleague Mm -hmm. is like, they'll give you feedback, but then you're thinking, okay, fine, right? But if a manager is giving you feedback, then it's like, okay, I better listen, right? So, yeah. and especially, at least for me, what's, what, what's really, what I've seen that really works when it comes to giving or receiving feedback is almost giving it soon, right? So not waiting too long, not letting it linger and build up mm-hmm. and stack up because after, you know, let's say if you, if you wait too long, then it's like, okay, you should have told me earlier or yeah, I've done, you, you know, you let people make the same mistake a few times and then it's like, Oh, I should have, I should have, or you should have told me earlier almost, I think is, and I think it's also some, a case of making the feedback almost evidence-based, right? So if oh, you're yeah. going to, yeah. if you're going to give that feedback, then make sure there's clear examples where the mistakes were made and that you can bring those up and say, well, yeah, maybe you were a bit slow in delivering those, those CVs or whatever it is. And it showed last week and we had that awkward discussion on Tuesday. And I asked you where, if you booked the interview and you told me you would, but then you didn't. So yeah. just making sure you bring up those examples, because sometimes if you don't bring them up, then it's like, well, did I really commit a, a mistake? Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's a, fr- there is a framework that there is a framework that I do keep in my mind, and that is the, you know, they, they it's called the coin framework, and it's okay, you know, con- con- providing context, then you know, the observation, um, and then the impact, and then next steps. Um, you know, that's something I'll, I'll be honest. That's something I'm always keeping in the back of my mind. Um, you know, when 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 giving feedback, but. You know, I just think that it's so because you've got because of the team's already got that openness and transparency. And uh, to be honest, to be honest, uh, I've got people in the, in the team, you know, that that are great in giving me feedback, and they know that I'm very open to receiving feedback. So at times they'll just come at come at me with feedback, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Um, which is which is great. You know, like I, I don't really I don't mind that. Um, I really don't. So, um, so even though I've got this framework in my mind that I always, that I always, you know, have and have there ready to kind of engage with, um, because there's that trust and openness, you know, you can kind of, it's very easy to have that, have that discussion. 
Yeah, and it, it's it's good you mentioned that that later piece where it's about let's say receiving feedback because if you're gonna dish it out, then you better be able to to mm. take it almost right. Yeah, so I think, and I think I think you know one of the one of the key things at at um, you know at checkout we've got our our that we're a very value driven company at checkout and um, you know one of the key values that kind of runs throughout the company our three values are aspire unite and excel but we do we are a humble bunch, you know, we are a humble group of, of people. Um, and we believe that, you know, we, we want to, we want to, you know, keep that humility. Um, and I think, you know, when I obviously wasn't fooling myself when, you know, when I had the opportunity to grow a team for the first time and I was hiring other, other, you know, talent acquisition professionals to come and work with me. And they were asking me in the interview, you know, have you led a team? And I was like, no, I haven't, you know, have, you know, oh, so they were they were they were interviewing with you, and they were asking you if you've led a team. Yeah, well, in my, I, I, if I've led a team before, and um, and I remember saying to them, no, I haven't led a team before. This will be the first team that I properly put together and properly lead. Yeah. But the, you know what? Again, it got again. It comes back to that honesty and transparency. And you know, I was very very honest with them and saying that, look, I'm learning just as much as you're learning. And, you know, I'm relying on you to come in with your experience and together we'll, we'll be building this, this team. And that's the kind of the dynamic within the team. It's so it's the team that I, that I work, that I, that I look after, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the squad leader and I've got the title and whatnot, but when there are, when there are issues and there are problems and there are things that we as a, we as a team, we need to address, like in terms of strategic strategic um, discussions and things like that, I quite often include all of them um, because it goes back to what we were saying about Dennis Rodman and having that different perspective. Yeah. You know, so I quite often bring them into the conversation because they've got fantastic experience. I've got a very, I'm very lucky to have the team that I've, that I've got. And so I, I would be, I would be missing a huge opportunity if I didn't include them in those discussions and say, well, what, what do you, what do you think? What do you, what do you, what do you guys think? How do you guys feel about this? You know, this is what I'm thinking about doing. What do you, what do you think about that? And it's having, again, it just fosters that openness and that transparency. And, you know, the fact that, you know, I'm able to include them in those decisions. It means when we're making a decision, we're making it as a team and we're all on board. So I think that made, uh, I think that's what made the big difference when I was saying, you know, come and work, come and come and work with me because we'll be doing this all together. And plus you get the best, um, generally at, at the very least, you'd get the best outcome because you've brought everyone's opinion, you've yeah. gotten all the perspectives, and then you can see, okay, I've chosen this path, but my team is thinking, you know, three out of four people or whatever it is are thinking, maybe going on another path. So mm. there's something going on. Maybe my judgment isn't completely clear. Let me double check my my ideas or if everyone's on board then it's like okay cool now we we have a very clear path to to choose that everyone agrees upon and then we can continue from there exactly and that's kind of what why it kind of ties into that humility piece because i don't i don't kind of profess that i know i have all the answers and i know everything and so that's why i kind of go to them and i'm like you know let's 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 figure this out together this is what i think but you know, what is, what does everyone else think? And we have that open discussion. 
And I wanted to to touch upon, and I think this is very related coming back to the business partner piece mm. where it's about engaging with hiring managers because you're not just leading the team or I suppose also looking after your own sourcing and everything, but also yeah. discussing, having discussions with business leaders, with uh, tech leads or whatever it may be. So just wanted to check on what's your approach or maybe your philosophy when it comes to engaging with stakeholders, hiring managers, and and sort of what guidelines would you advise someone to follow? Uh, be as data-driven as you can. That's, that's, that's what I would say. I mean... The, I mean, there's to be bringing, bringing, um, you know, if you're bringing your opinions into, into a room with, you know, senior stakeholders and you're trying to, you know, trying to lay down a plan for forward, it's always better to approach it with, with data and to go into as much to go into, if you can go into it as granular as possible, that would be even, even better. Um, but I've found that, I've found that when engaging with, with senior stakeholders, um, quite often, if I quite often when I go in with data, um, then the com then it's no longer my opinion against someone else's opinion. I mean, it's you, yeah. the data is there for everyone to see. So I always, you know, and this is something that you know even you know, this is something that I encourage my team to always do, you know, to when they're having their meetings with their stakeholders, with their hiring managers, you know, bring data, you know, get the get the numbers of the pipeline, you know, assess the numbers of the pipeline. And then when you go into these meetings, bring the, take the data with you, kind of highlight the anomalies and highlight the, the pain points and also suggest, you know, these are the, this is how, these are the things that we can do in order to make improvements it just adds a whole, it ha adds more credibility to what, to, to what you're doing. Um, it shows more of a, you know, a scientific, a scientific mathematical approach. And, um, and yeah. Yeah. That's so true. I mean, being data driven, I mean, when you're talking to, to technical people and I mean, you got to know your numbers, but also you got to say, well, the numbers don't lie. Right. Because, yeah. and this is maybe an example um, from my side, but basically you'd, you'd be, let's say having 10 phone screens this week with developers mm -hmm. and nine out of 10 are coming back saying, look, this is great and all, but I'm not entirely sure about your glass door reviews and yeah. the comments there. I'm not entirely sure if I, if I want to commit to this process. Um, mm -hmm. and I guess the easy example is coming back to salaries, like, oh, most companies, most, most, let's say, candidates are coming back saying X, Y, and Z about the salaries, or even when it comes to number of interviews you're booking in, but or number of CVs. Like, look, we're getting so many CVs in, but it takes, on average, um, and this is also another personal example. But let's say you're presenting so many CVs, but then it's like, yeah, but it takes maybe a good week or two before we get feedback. So, and by then the candidates are dropping out because they got other processes going mm -hmm. on. So yeah. it's just a lot of things that you can come back with and say, well, the process is is this, these are the challenges, and this yeah. is what we're seeing in the numbers, and this is why people are, this is what's causing the problem, right? The people dropping out or the process mm -hmm. taking too long, and here are the numbers, right? And then you get to say, well, this is this is this is it really but i think yeah. it's and you you ended with this but it's also so important to not just come with problems but also with solutions right 
hundred percent. One, yeah, one hundred percent. And the other, the other side of the whole data thing, and you know, it's 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 um, you know, again, it kind of goes back to that theme of openness, you know, transparency, and that's and that what we were talking about earlier. Where you know, even if you even if you pull the data and the data doesn't doesn't look great, you know, like maybe, <laughs> yeah. maybe you've done maybe you've done like I don't know, I'm going to name something ridiculous, but maybe you've done like a hundred recruiter screens, but you've only hired one person. You know, like yeah. the data might not look even if the data doesn't look good. It it's such a it's it's such a it's such a great source for not just showing stakeholders, look, you know, we're tracking this, you know, we're looking at everything with a magnifying glass to see how we can improve everything. But what it also does is, you know, I've, I've spoken to other, you know, other, uh, you know, talent acquisition teams and, and so on. And, um, some of them will, some of them will actually start to, some of them will actually start to become data driven. And then they, then the, they actually start to use the data that they pull for stakeholders as their own development reference. So they start looking at it like, okay, these are my data. This is the data that I've been giving to to managers. But yeah. it's, you know, it goes it goes back to the question of, you know, how do you know that you're improving? So you how the, how do you know how do you know if you're doing well? Yeah, you can probably assess that by saying, oh, I've hired X amount of people. That's a that's a an indication that I'm doing well. But but how do you know that you're improving? is a completely different question. And unless you have that data, then as a talent acquisition team, you will be able, you won't be able to, it'll be difficult for you to say, well, I'm improving because my conversions between these two, between these interview stages are now becoming incredibly, incredibly high or incredibly effective. So even from a development perspective, from a, for a talent acquisition team, having that data is just, is just so vital. Yeah, for me, the and especially when it comes to data, my my favorite metrics is mm. uh, time time to hire. I yeah. feel is a is a big one. It's one yeah. that probably and the people that know me, they're like, oh, he's talking about time to hire again. But that's that's just sort of almost my favorite <laughs> one. But also, I think sort of the interview ratios, like okay, uh, we're we're interviewing ten people in the first stage, but only two of them pass to the other side. So it's like, yeah. whoa, what's going on, right? Yeah, <laughs> that that's my favorite one. We're looking yeah. at the conversions between stages. That's my favorite one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think another piece of data is it's it's so tricky because, um, I mean, sometimes I mean, data alone is not gonna be the. I mean, it's very important, but you're going to get pushback, right? I mean, well, have you checked your data correctly? Or, well, yeah. I'm not sure I agree with the numbers. Or or sometimes it's like, well, what are you going to do about it, right? So it's like, yeah. oh, now they're flipping it on me, which is, which, you know, obviously we're here to bring the solutions, which is fine. But sometimes, yeah. you know, just the data alone, and I think I mentioned this in another episode, but data alone is not going to make a company or a team or hiring manager change change things right because sometimes you got to learn to negotiate you you got to learn to talk your way through things present the data in a good way in a in a compelling way sometimes mm. and also present it early on right because if you let's say you're you're into a search and then only let's say you you're two months into a search and and you haven't placed the person yet and mm -hmm. then you decide to go with the data to the hiring manager, 
then, you know, they're going to think, okay, you're only telling me this now, you know, I mean, this should have been, you should have <laughs> highlighted that, that issue a few weeks or a few months ago. Right. Yeah. So definitely. It's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good tool, but you got to know how to use it also. Yeah, definitely. I can, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Now, just to, just to wrap up, um, I just wanted to double check. So back at checkout, so generally sort of what roles do you, do you tend to look after? Yeah, so my team at um, at checkout, my team we look after um, everything in terms of software engineering, QA engineers, product management, um, product design, product delivery, product operations. Um, but uh, we we also look after roles such as DevOps, um, IT security and infrastructure, those those types of positions, and and data, database operations. Um, so quite, so quite a lot, you know, my, my team covers quite a bit and generally the, you know, we have 13 offices around the world, um, you know, at checkout, um, but predominantly, um, most of our, most of the positions that we hire for are in London where our headquarters are. Um, but we, we do have positions or we do hire for, for, uh, teams in Porto in Berlin, um, and a little, little bit of Mauritius from time to time, but we have a fantastic person in, uh, in Mauritius that actually handles, handles all of our recruitment out there. Well, it seems like you guys got your plate full, right? I mean, especially yeah. you with, uh, you know, the leadership piece, but also all of the roles you need to look after and handle the relationships with the hiring managers. So hopefully you're coping well. Yeah, yeah, no, it's going well. I mean, um, we are definitely without a doubt, you know, we're, we're in a very fortunate position. I mean, you know, there's you know, there's a lot of companies out there that aren't that aren't hiring. Um, so we are in a very fortunate position, and we you know we definitely we definitely understand that. Um, so so yeah, no things things are going things are going well. Um, you know, even you know since since the lockdown, um, we've had we've hired over I think it's over a hundred people now in, in London. Um, so we've grown to just over seven hundred globally. Um, with over with over four hundred being in our headquarters in London, uh, but of course, you know we're all work, we're all still working remotely. Excellent, and um, I suppose just on a final note, for any comments, questions, remarks around your profile, your experience, anyone that wants to know more, what's the best way of reaching you? Well, best best way to reach me is is definitely through LinkedIn. I mean, that's pretty yeah. standard, right? Um, that would be the best. That would be the, the the best way to reach me. Um. So yeah, you can just yep. uh, search for me in LinkedIn. Yeah, for sure, and just just reach out. I'm very I'm very open and happy to to connect with uh, connect with people. And uh, if anyone has any questions or anything that that we've spoken about today, I'm sure they'll reach out to to you, mate. But um. But uh, yeah, I'm always happy to connect with people. And um, yeah. Excellent. For any for the listeners, the you can find uh, Garrett's LinkedIn profile on the episode description. Be sure to check it out. He's got a very interesting article around what it is to be a recruiter and sort of what the guidelines should be to be a true business partner to your company. It's called I Want to Be Like Rogerio Cheni. So be sure to check that out. And uh, yeah, Gareth, just wanted to thank you again for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. And I think, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've had a, an amazing time and I've learned quite a bit about yourself, the company and, and sort of your philosophy around recruitment, uh, leadership, but also engaging with stakeholders. Yeah, awesome. Thanks so much for having me. It's been, it's been awesome. 
Thank you, mate. We'll talk soon. Thanks again. Yeah, cheers. Thanks. Take care. It was great fun speaking with Gareth. Feel free to connect with him via LinkedIn for any questions or comments. Don't forget to subscribe or follow this podcast to stay up to date with future releases. Thanks again, guys, and stay safe.